You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in the United States. We want to make care better for everyone. So we set expectations of healthcare companies and organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well, and we use science to help us build better health and better choices for everyone in the United States. If you're a fan of this podcast, then follow us. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can bookmark us and subscribe. On YouTube, you can give us a thumbs up. And in Amazon Music, go to the podcast section and click on the little heart icon to follow us. Show us that you're listening, and if you have feedback for us, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. In this episode's interview, we explore GME, Graduate Medical Education, and some fundamental questions. How can we make sure today's medical residents are paying attention to their patients? How do we teach residents to ask the right questions? And even more fundamentally, how do we make sure that the next generation of clinicians knows how to implement value-based models of care in order to focus on person-centered outcomes. On Inside Healthcare on this podcast, we often discuss clinical approaches to medical care. When talking about how healthcare changed during the pandemic, we realized the level of stress that clinicians faced, from patient overflow in the emergency room to being buried under an avalanche of paperwork. Some clinicians simply miss having face-to-face encounters with their patients. But we've also seen these burdens as an opportunity for a reset in the doctor-patient relationship. A value-based model of care can allow patients' voices to be heard in sometimes unforeseen ways, encouraging patients to open up not only about their symptoms but also about their home and work situations helps paint a broader picture and helps providers understand what's really at the core of a patient's problem. Ultimately, from the very beginning, this model lets healthcare workers guide the patients to articulate their own health goals and not their doctors. Patients envision what their lives could be in a few months or even a few years down the line, and that's the point at which clinicians can help patients develop a treatment plan That gets them from point A to point B. That may be the best way to keep a patient healthy and to boost their interest in their self-care and thereby prevent repeat visits for the same problem. So getting back to this episode's discussion about GME, how do we teach today's medical student residents to follow a value-based model of care? And by the way, NCQA's HEDIS measures absolutely play a part in all of this. Michael Cantor, MD, is a professor and chair of clinical science at the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine in Pasadena, California. In his work within Kaiser Permanente's healthcare system, he's overseen the quality of care provided by 22,000 physicians to 12.2 million patients. He also was responsible for development of Kaiser's National Quality Strategy, An expert in patient safety and clinical quality, he developed policy-based and software-based programs that decreased the number of missed or delayed diagnoses and increased patient engagement. 
Dr. Cantor's cardiovascular mortality reduction program achieved a 50% reduction in the incidence of acute myocardial infarction from the year 2000 through 2014. The program helped eliminate many health disparities among African Americans in the Medicare population. His articles have appeared all over the place in the New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Harvard Business Review, that's just to name a few. Jung Kim, Ph.D., M.Ph., is Assistant Professor for Health Systems Science at the Kaiser Permanente Tyson School of Medicine and as a protege of Dr. Cantor. Dr. Kim explores approaches to healthcare and healing, including studies on the roles of acupuncture and other East Asian practices as complementary or alternative medical treatments for cancer, HIV, and other conditions. As we'll hear in our interview, Dr. Kim also investigates innovations in medical education residency programs, including analysis of email communication among medical students and new learning strategies for medical education. So the questions stand regarding graduate medical education. How do you teach med school students the value of quality? How do you train them to follow a model of value-based care? And if your hospital's HEDIS scores are low, how much of that is because of the residents? Dr. Cantor starts our discussion with some backstory on what got him thinking about the correlation between medical residencies and healthcare quality in the first place. I started working on this, um, boy, it's been about 10 years ago. Um, at the time, uh, my position was the medical director for quality and clinical analysis in Southern California in the Kaiser Permanente uh, system. And I was over not only quality, but also medical education, which included GME. And uh, we take a lot of our quality scores and slice them in different ways by location, by medical center, by doctor. And um, the question arose, we've got a lot of residents in our system. Um, what kind of quality are they providing? Are they um, increasing our quality scores or are they decreasing them? And as a health system leader, I wanted to understand the uh, their contribution. Um, and um, I wasn't thinking about this as a research project or a medical education issue so much as what kind of quality do our patients get who are cared for by residents. And so we started analyzing um, uh, HEDIS scores um, by um, our residency program. And uh, it wasn't something new to us because, as I said, we slice and dice our he just data all kinds of ways looking for variation and best practices and um, places that need improvement. So this was just a natural part of the work I was doing. What, what can you discover about the people who are working on the medical staff by using the, the HEDIS data? Well, you, you, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, cause there's an attribution issue. If somebody's, mm -hmm. um, colon cancer screening rate is higher or lower, how much is that of the individual provider versus the system they work in? And that, that's sometimes not an answerable question, but, but what was, um, 
of concern or interest is the fact that our, res- our members who have residents as their physicians where they get their care have the right to get the you know high quality of care that we want to provide all members we as an organization don't say well they're they're just taken care of by the residents so we're going to let the standards you know fall down because we have to train people um, and they're paying the same dues they are entitled to the same sort of rights and privileges as other members. So this was driven from the lens of providing excellent quality. If, if, if it occurs to you that residents maybe at different times have more say over what they do, but then at the same time, the medical institutes uh, today, many of them are still using old fashioned or uh, traditional mm-hmm. modes of teaching where nowadays, at least at NCQA, we're trying to move into less of a fee-for-service model of care and more of a value-based model of care and try to move away from the traditional um, model of, of people going to the doctor and assuming the doctor knows everything. And then somehow, conversely, there are a lot of residents and a lot of physicians that also act the same way as if we don't need to evaluate these the patient or interview them as much as uh, we uh, could in order to be able to come up with something that we can tell them to be able to send them off. So uh, let me ask you, yeah. Dr. Kim, um, tell me your your uh, take on resident physicians and quality of care today. Yeah, I think you bring up a couple of important points of why he just provides a unique opportunity to uh, illustrate the world of GME that's overlaid on healthcare delivery systems. And uh, historically, residents were overlaid. They were still learning. They're not fully uh, licensed yet. And they're immersed in these uh, clinical systems. Um, But in terms of the performance and the assessments of them, it's relatively stagnant still. And um, there was this national movement back in the 2000 crossing the quality chasm. I think we're all familiar with that, that really called for improved transparency of residency care. And um, in addition to improving the assessments around them. So how do you assess the performance of residents? So he just really gave us a, a, a feedback loop to really understand their performance over time and really the opportunity to link into this new era that we're seeing in GME, which we're calling the outcomes-based era. So finally understanding, okay, after training for a certain amount of years, do we have a clear understanding of the outcomes of our training programs? And um, the ability to benchmark that has been uh, illustrated through HEDIS. And so we were excited to see that feedback loop inserted through our research. If I can add to that, I think the answer to your question is we actually don't know as a society the quality of care our residents, and by our, I don't mean Kaiser residents, but residents in general, we don't know the quality of care that they're actually providing because it's not systematically measured. Um, And I, I think we were this way with health plans 30 years ago before uh, NCQA was in existence. I may, I may be wrong on the number of years, but um, it wasn't that long ago that we never measured health plan performance and quality. And now we routinely do, but 
we don't routinely with residents. So we're a little bit looking at a black box. And what we did is mm -hmm. look at our own residents. Um, so I know in Kaiser system, how residents um, take care of their patients with respect to HEDIS measures, but we don't know that in general in the country. Well, that leads into a, a whole encyclopedia worth of questions. <laughs> but before I get in that, uh, and I, I, I do want to get one of those, but you know, if you're talking about the study that you did, then Dr. Cantor start off, tell us what did you learn about residents? Um, at all from from the study that you, uh, that you I did. think we learned a couple things and the, to me the most important is that we can actually easily measure um, HEDIS scores um, on residents panels and I mean that that sounds kind of simple but to some degree our work was is a method study that this is something easily measurable mm -hmm. We've been measuring it for almost a decade. Uh, we distribute it to our program directors and residents. They look at it. They can uh, initiate QI programs based on that. And so um, I think just demonstrating feasibility is one key. The other is we found the quality of care delivered by our residents on, on the metrics we looked at was actually quite good. It was above the national mm -hmm. average and um, in line with what our attending physicians do within the Kaiser Permanente system, which in many cases is sizably above the national average. Um, and so that's kind of what we learned, but how generalizable those findings are is, is something remains to be determined. Oh, yeah. Was, and, and circling back to, to your earlier question about, you know, the type of delivery of care value base versus fee for service. And I think to Dr. Cantor's point about generalizability, it does depict like, how do we look at our healthcare delivery system nationally and all these GME programs that are overlaid on that and these different types of, uh, I guess, pair systems essentially. And so this is a glimpse of looking at it from a little bit more of a value based or a capitated system that um uh and from one lens and so it begs the question can we apply these standards of quality with other types of healthcare delivery models well it, one thing that hits me considering we're we're just talking about uh gmes we're just talking about uh, graduate level education and just talking about residents who are i guess do, doing their field work or doing the rounds as part of their education if we are talking about the move in healthcare towards more outcome-oriented healthcare and working backwards and saying to the patient, discussing with the patient, not just how do you feel today or how are you doing right now or how has it been for the last two weeks or so, but talking about where do you want to be in a year? Where do you want your condition to be in a year? Um, then you're setting these outcome goals uh, and, and helping to bead the string for the patient to say, okay, well, here are the various steps that I would recommend and, and I'll help to supervise along the way to get you there. That mode isn't necessarily a traditional mo you know, mode of healthcare that's taught or that's been taught in medical schools. And if we want medical programs to start changing in order to train people towards value-based care, then certainly the kind of evaluations that you're talking about in looking at how residents are doing right now, um, that that helps to uh, that helps to you know sort of be an end game supervisory evaluation that you're able to use 
to say, mm-hmm. okay, are residents finally getting the picture? Are they finally following this um, a- outcome-oriented uh, uh, approach to care? Uh, or do we, right. in general, have more that we need to do? Do- Dr. Cantor, tell me what you think about, um, about that in terms of having this uh, evaluation of residents as a means of trying to evaluate their approach, uh, the approach that was given to them in training them or earlier on in their medical uh, training, medical career? It's an interesting question because I we we can measure uh, blood pressure control rate in our residents. Um, what that gives you a number, it gives you a percentage. Um, the underlying that number is the skill of the resident. It's the attitude of the resident, how they approach value-based care. And it's also the system around the resident um, that supports that because we have pharmacists, we've got other folks. So um, to my mind, what this is teaching the resident is sort of system-based practice and QI. And it's, it's not just the number that we measure, but it's what does the resident do with that number? Do they say, oh, well, my you know, control rates 70%, that's lovely. Or do they then say, I'm going to put a plan together to get it up to 73% or or whatever goal they set. And so that's, I think, uh, what we want to teach is um, and reinforce. So they they may have learned in medical school that QI is a good thing and you want to get better, but I think they unlearn that quickly if they complete a four-year residency and never um, work on any quality improvement. Right. And to work on quality improvement, you need to have some kind of quality metrics that you're actually looking at and accountable to. And what I like about HEDIS measures is their their national benchmarks and they're established in kind of the currency of the realm. and residents when they go into independent practice will likely have the same quality metrics they need to work on throughout their career. What about a metric that looks at recurrence of of patients in terms of how often they have to keep coming back and having the same symptoms or the same complaints or whatever, um, uh, how often you see them or how often they have to come back or how often they seem to return to the ER? Uh, and how that might reflect if they're seeing either the same resident or they saw a certain resident and then two weeks yeah. later they're back in with the same problem. Is is that a valid yeah, it's a, kind of metric? Oh, it's a very important. And I was like one of our findings too, because one of the questions we posited after uh, uh, doing our analysis is, you know, what is the impact of patient volume in terms of fetus measures? And I, I think also it re- illustrates the, uh, the, the really need for ambulatory or outpatient care measures. Um, especially in primary care, um, because those are sparse right now. And in terms of GME and continuity is a key attribute, not only at Kaiser Permanente and having a relationship with your primary care physician, but also in many specialties like family medicine and internal medicine. So that becomes the hallmark of care between the patient and the physician in training um, but uh, right now we're still in our infancy in GME on how to shape curriculum or training around continuity. And um, there's some future work in the pipeline that we're working on to really understand that more and what those relationships mean. 
Dr. Cantor, what what are you working on currently that's related to GME performance? Um, what we're actually looking at, I think one of our next steps is going to be um, more qualitative in nature, but we want to actually know exactly what the program directors and residents do when they're given these sort of outcome measures. Um, what kinds of actions do they take and how is it useful for them? Um, and I think that will help guide us, number one, in um, uh, what kind of data to supply them in the future and yeah. um, and maybe new kinds of data. We focused on HEDIS measures because they're easy to measure, but that's not the be all and end all of care. So we want to understand um, how it's used for performance improvement and also how it's used for educational purposes. Um, if uh, a metric isn't doing well, one of the things is in the differential of that is, is there a gap in skill or knowledge of the resident? And uh, that's something we also need to investigate. And can we correlate these um, quality measures with resident um, milestones and knowledge and skills that um, we're also monitoring in our GME programs? Uh, Dr. Kim, does, is, do you have anything that you wanted to add for that point? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm fortuitously being a part of Dr. Cantor's work in terms of this. And we're actually partnering with the ACGME, which is the GME accrediting body, who has taken a new lens to this outcome-based uh, work, and you know they had kicked off this milestones work that Dr. Cantor had mentioned earlier, which is measuring the competencies of physicians or residents. And so, after set amount of training years, as they emerge from their programs and are competent in certain attributes, um, what is the role of HEDIS with those? Um, because they created a very sophisticated multi-dimensional assessment structure and um, historically uh, assessments in GME have been very resource intensive requiring direct observation of supervising physicians and so we're excited to see how HEDIS correlates with these uh, core competencies from the ACGME and, and seeing if there's a way to align a lot of these publicly accountable measures with uh, ongoing work with the accrediting bodies of GME. I often end interviews by saying, what do you think things will be like in 10 years? Um, this isn't the case. We're not trying to talk about how things will be 10 years. We, we're talking about how we want things to be right now. Uh, and if we're talking about residents and GMEs, I just keep thinking about medical school programs right now. And what can they be doing right now in terms of uh, to to be able to train people towards outcome-based person-centered care, value-based care, uh, and, and whatever the approach is. Sometimes value-based care means that by the uh, that the end game is to improve the person's quality of life as opposed to just finding a specific problem and solving it. Sometimes value-based right. is just talking about, as opposed to fee-for-service, how do we stay in business and still be able to care properly for patients mm -hmm. without me defining anything? The question is, what can medical schools be doing today in their process of training the next generation of medical professionals to guide them towards outcome-oriented care. 
please, Dr. Uh, Cantor. I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. <laughs> I mean, that's a really big question. And I can tell you some of the things we're doing at Kaiser Permanente in our medical school. And we have the, the fortune to have a new school with a new curriculum. Um, and it allowed us to be thoughtful about that. Um, one thing we have is a Department of Health System Science um, where students are taught the science of outcomes and system contribution outcomes and performance improvement, safety, how to look at data, how to look at evidence. And so I think that's key to train a future physician who can um, look at their practice and figure out how do you add value and how do you make people healthier and feel better and um, deal with all of the uncertainties in um, practice. So um, that's part of it. The other piece that we're doing that's kind of interesting to me is we give the students quality improvement projects to do. So um, we actually had our students um, work on how to improve hypertension control in the um, module where they do their primary care uh, rotation. Um, we have a longitudinal um, integrated clerkship. And so they're in a clinic for one to two years and they participate in QI activities based on quality measures. And each year they have a new assignment. They also do a similar thing in community clinics and what was what we call service learning, where they um, identify some kind of need or gap and work on it. And I think giving students practical experience and knowledge in um, quality improvement methods is is the way to go to teach them about system-based practice and give them those skills in medical school, I think is easier than waiting until either GME or, or in my case, when I went to school a long time ago, picked it up in practice because that wasn't even thought about in medical schools. Dr. Kim, can, can you add to that and, and talk about yeah. And, and talk about um, how residents uh, are being trained to work with patients on lifestyle and life skills, as opposed to just sort of, here's the one thing that's going on with me right now, but to see if there's yeah. anything that you can give them to train them towards self-care. Yeah, definitely. I think for the first part, um, to expand on Dr. Counter's um, comment is, uh, the, the design of the medical school is important. And at Kaiser Permanente, we have an education program or a medical school that's fully integrated with our delivery system. Uh, historically, medical schools have been bifurcated or separate, and the alignment of the delivery system hasn't necessarily been quite tight between the two. And so we at Kaiser Permanente, Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine, have that ability to develop a lot of those programs that and curriculum that Dr. Cantor was describing as a result of that integrated relationship. And I would just also add one quick thing about what Dr. Cantor also started was uh, enabling patient reported outcome measures on medical students, the same measures that we have on practicing physicians as well. So again, this theme of alignment 
between the school and curriculum with uh, actual lifetime practice becomes really important. Um, as uh, we think about future medical schools or iterating old schools into the new era, and that's something to consider. And um, in terms of GME and really think about that holistic picture of health, you know, thinking about, you know, patient health being an embodiment of environment and um, everything outside the walls of a medical uh, center or hospital is, uh, you know, we're in, in this era of like social justice and advocacy and we're seeing uh, students and residents eager to address those wider issues like um, nutrition, housing, food insecurity, et cetera. Um, it's slowly making its way into our GME programs, not as formally, but we're seeing the demand from the trainees asking for that um, because they have a want to really align with their patients and help partner with them. And they're becoming more and more cognizant that the delivery system has its limits. And so what do you think about um, approaching patients, you know, while, while they're at home or outside of the delivery system, what kind of care and recommendations you can provide? So we're, we're definitely at this cusp of what we've traditionally called the social determinants of health. Um, but uh, it, it'll be exciting times to see how that unfolds. Dr. Jung Kim, Assistant Professor for Health System Science, speaking to me alongside Clinical Science Chair, Dr. Michael Cantor both of the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine in Pasadena, California. Announcing NCQA's next big event, the Health Equity Forum, coming up March 4th and 5th, 2024 at the Westin Los Angeles Airport. The Health Equity Forum convenes state officials, advocates, and healthcare providers, showcasing the blueprint for creating and implementing statewide health equity strategies. Day one, California state officials and health equity leaders will discuss why California has prioritized health equity. They'll also share best practices for health equity collaboration. And Day 2 features a workshop and training with NCQA experts about our health equity accreditation programs. You'll determine your readiness to earn accreditation and identify challenges and learn how to address them. So, if you're a champion of health equity, diversity, and inclusion... NCQA wants to partner with you. We offer opportunities that can be customized to align with your strategic objectives and specific health equity goals. Find out more at ncqa.org and search Health Equity Forum, or just click the link in this episode's description. As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we ask now for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime and be sure to include Inside Healthcare in the subject line. So if you're coming up empty for something to say, here's our question for this episode. What advice would you give a first-year resident in their approach to quality in healthcare? And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you'd like to be that guest, just email us and let us know. Communications at ncqa.org and be sure to write Inside Healthcare in the subject line. Hope to hear from you soon. And that's it for episode 122 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. You can find us at blog.ncqa.org or find us on Apple, YouTube, or Amazon Music, or any of the many streaming apps that carry us. 
Whether you download the show or you stream it, if you find us, then follow us. Bookmark us on Apple Podcasts, give us a thumbs up on YouTube, or a little heart to follow us on Amazon. Show us you're listening, and please spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. If you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you'll get video promos for this show to share with your friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.